This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Martin Shipton, Chief Reporter of Media Wales, and you're listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. Martin Shipton, I'm here today with Adam Price, who's the Assembly Member for Carmarthen East and Dinevor. Adam, you come from quite an interesting part of Wales, don't you? Because it's where the valleys meet the rural Wales, essentially. So there are two elements there, aren't there? And I mean, that's reflected in your constituency, isn't it? What was it like to grow up in an area like that? Uh, yeah, you, you're right. I mean, it, it is uh, the Western Valleys, effectively, uh, the anthracite coalfield where I'm from, uh, Ammonford. Is that that interesting bridge between rural and industrial Wales? Um, it, it looks both ways, um, you know, culturally and historically, and, uh, and and so yes, you know, very conscious of that hybridity. It was historically unionized very late. Uh, the miners there saw themselves, uh, even in the early years of the 20th century, uh, essentially as skilled craftsmen. There were Eisteddfodic uh, competitions for um, uh, you know, building pit props and this kind of thing. And, uh, and it was only really uh, radical politics came, came late in the form of the First World War, and then, then suddenly everything shifted. And, uh, and then you, you had... Uh, Likes of Jim Griffiths, of course, starting as a miners, miners agent, and probably, I mean, if you if you read, I think Philip Weeks who used to be the director of the of the um, NCB in South Wales. He talked about uh, the slightly different nature of the, even the language that was used by NUM reps from the West. You know that they 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 might have been communists, but uh, some some of them were, uh, or ILP. But there was a there was a kind of a, definitely a tone. Of the uh, the pulpit, and uh, obviously, you know, many hours spent studying their Bible that that then was translated into their political discourse. I don't know whether that's true of me, but uh. I think it perhaps <laughs> is because I remember you telling me some years ago that you were a bit of a teenage preacher, Adam. That's right, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, actually, my, my first speeches were with megaphone in hand, and yes, uh, talking about uh, a religious gospel rather than a political one. And has the religious uh, gospel stayed with you as well as the political one? I, I think uh, I, it's, um, I've been through many different um, phases in that. And, and so, but uh, I was an evangelical Christian, and uh, uh, then, I, um, then I became a, um, a Marxist atheist. You know, I, I've, I've never been one for the, for the, the middle path, you know. And, uh, but I, I suppose I, I kind of adopted um, culturally Christian, you know, and I, I think that um, uh, in terms of the values then, um, as, and certainly the kind of, the, the social gospel then, the, the message of social justice, that nonconformism, radical nonconformism in Wales represented, that's very important to me. Um, and, you know, yeah, spirituality is very important to me, but um, a, a, a literal uh, reading of the Bible as I used to have when I was 13 and preaching on street corners, I've left that a little bit behind. But it's, it's obviously stood you in very good stead in terms of oratorical skills, because um, without seeking to uh, be sycophantic to you, you have got oratorical skills, which I imagine did begin with your preaching activities. Certainly, you know, and I used to read the King James Bible, um, you know, um, they were quite traditional in the, uh, in the gospel halls. Um, but there's some value in, in that, and much much as um, William Morgan Bible in Welsh uh, has a certain poetry to it, um, there is a, a, a meter there, you know, which uh, I think once you've once you've it's been imbued, uh, you never quite uh, forget it. I mean, you know, I oratory has um, waxed and waned uh, possibly, uh, but uh, you know. Certainly, you know, over, over 
last few decades, but it's probably come back into fashion, uh, I, I think. And you know, with uh, Obama, for, for for example, and that the great you know soaring uh, heights of his of his oratory. And you know, ultimately, um, politics is about moving people. It it it, it is. Um, it has to have an emotional in, in, in intelligence to it. It has to have an emotional power. I mean, one of my great um, professors uh, um, at Harvard, um, who was over in, in Wales uh, recently, Ricardo Hausman, uh, says that you know a great political speech has to move you to tears. You know, and I, I and I think that it, I think that is that is true. Uh, maybe you can't do it every time at Plague Henry Spring Conference, but. You know, people want to be taken on a journey. They want to go. Uh, a great speech has an arc, and um, people want to be in, in, inspired. They want to be lift. They want their heart to be lifted, and that's not that different to the kind of stock in trade of the great, you know, um, preachers of the Methodist re- revival a few a few years ago. But the negative of it can be demagoguery, can't it? Where People are whipped up into a fervour by a speaker who does not have a positive vision but has a very negative vision and that has been a bit of a bane, hasn't it, uh, through the 20th century and into the 21st in some contexts. That's certainly true. You know, I mean, any, uh, any skill or talent uh, can be used for good or for evil, can't it? I mean, you know, but uh, my response to that would be, you know, why, why should the devil have all the good, all the, all the best tunes, you know? So, you know, those of us who believe in a more beneficent version of society, then, you know, it, it really is incumbent upon us to, uh, to use those communicative skills as well, but do, do so for good. What sort of influence did your family background have on you, Adam? Oh, you know, huge influence. I mean, I think um, we all have um, we we all have anchors, don't we? I think crucible moments in our in our life that we return to uh, in order to uh, to root us in a sense of who we are and why we do what we do. And, and so, for me, you know, it is the experience of growing up um, as uh, as a minor son. Of, Son of a miner's wife, as, as well, equally important. Both uh, of um, th- those um, influences in my life, my mother and my father. Um, the, the experience of the miner's strike, uh, you know, I often uh, refer to it because, yes, for me, that is the the defining uh, moment because it it speaks to a sense of of injustice in a whole community, which f- feels it's 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 bereft. It's, it's um, it, it faces uh, the uh, the uh, the powers and of an unaccountable state, uh, which uh, which was determined um, to push through um, you know destructive economic policies, whatever the cost. And so you know that's uh, everything that I'm against, and and what I'm for is, is is a different kind of future. And and so you know when you get bogged down in in the, the in, in in the details of the process of of, of um, of day-to-day politics, it is so uh, useful to be able to ground yourself back into the, the kind of the reason why you started on this on this journey and the reason why you wanted to be a, a voice for the voiceless. Uh, effectively, you're a trained economist, um, Adam. To what extent do you think that Marx, whose two hundredth birthday was very recent, um, still has relevance in the Wales, Britain, and world of today. I think that you know Marx, Marx, and Marxism uh, is going through um, a revival. I mean, you don't necessarily have to be particularly left-wing to recognise that. I mean, Mark Carney, of course, uh, recently um, uh, predicted that um, uh, th- this resurgence of interest uh, could grow and become politically significant as well as the result of. Particularly the, um, the the waves of aut- automation that are sweeping away the current economic system uh, potentially. Um, why that's relevant is that uh, effectively we would be left uh, with a form of sort of hyper capitalism where um, the owners of capital would be able to dominate the entire production system because it would be a kind of a post uh, worker um, economy. But yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think it's not just because of Marx's great insight in understanding um, the, 
the basic driving forces of the, of the capitalist system, which are once again, as we uh, as we're on the cusp of this change of paradigm, Marxism particularly becomes relevant at crisis points or, or kind of uh, junctures, pivot moments. Uh, so in nineteen thirties, for, for, for example, as well. Um, I think culturally, as, as you know, and particularly if you think about young Marx, um, so the sort of radical humanist Marx, which people often forget, um, uh, f- because for him, co- communism uh, wasn't an, it wasn't an end in itself. It actually was a means to what he he certainly young Marx saw as the greater greater goal, which was a. Um, <sighs> Structuring our lives and our society in a way that we could lead to the, the uh, to what we sometimes now refer to as self-actualization, so living fuller and more meaningful lives. And that actually, I mean, that isn't necessarily particularly of a, a uniquely socialist idea. You could say it's it's actually a very individualist idea, though possibly in a kind of sixties libertarian uh, clothes. But those kind of ideas seem to be. Uh, very much aligned with with how we we, we think today. We we you know if we if we read our newspapers etc. We all of us seem to be worry um, worrying away at this idea of how we can live a fuller and more me- meaningful life. So uh, and you know automation to to bring us back to that could be a means to that end, couldn't it? I mean it could be the achievement of the kind of society of a bu- economy of abundance where uh, people were were liberated from dangerous and uh, work and drudgery etc so they could actually spend their time doing more interesting stuff so yeah in, in some ways much maligned as he uh, as he has been i think marx definitely is coming back into fashion people were predicting a few decades ago that with automation it would be possible for there to be more leisure time and of course the irony is that with more automation what has tended to happen is that certainly it's the case in britain uh, people are working longer hours than they ever have done. And very often, people are working unpaid overtime. How has that come about? Absolutely, and, and the I think the proponents of Industry 4.0 or kind of you know the, the, the rise of the robots would say that this phase of automation, because we've we've had others. I mean, going going back to the Luddites, of course, and at every point. Um, it hasn't uh, actually uh, led to the end of work. It's led to a painful transition to a different type of, of work. Um, what uh, and your point about people working longer hours, of course, is um, well, Marxists would, would say that that is to do with uh, the pr- pr- pressure on uh, profit margins um, and. The fact that, of course, we've seen uh, over this period um, uh, of tertiarization and the rest of it, um, a reduction in the power of trade unions and um, a growing in, a growing inequality and a massive accretion of wealth and therefore you know economic power and everything else to a, a much smaller proportion of, of the population, uh, which you know is cumul- and that process is cumulative over time. Why this phase could be different, I mean, this phase of automation will create new jobs and it will allow possibly unmet, you know, human needs uh, to be uh, to be serviced. You know, in a, I mean, there weren't, I, I don't know, was dog walking, professional dog walking, uh, you know, a job, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I don't know, maybe it was. Um, but, I mean, more uh, more particularly, if you, if you think about a... Um, an attractive vision of the future. Um, if if uh, those bits of human labour, re- you know, reading through reams and reams of legal contracts, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if a machine can do do that in 20 seconds, this has now been predicted, which would take hun- hundreds and hundreds of people, hundreds and hundreds of uh, person days to do, then that has to be seen as a, a form of progress. The question is... Who captures the economic value from that efficiency? If the economic value uh, only f- uh, filters down to the owners of capital, um, uh, and they are an ever um, uh, an ever smaller uh, tranche of society, then of course we've got a huge problem uh, on our hand. If, on the other hand, 
uh, that economic value is distributed more fairly, more equally, then that allows you to to to, to use the, the the freed up labor, if if you if you like, the freed up time. Maybe we shouldn't make such a distinction completely between labor and and, and and leisure time. If people start to be able to do work which is more meaningful, which they enjoy. Uh, which gives them a sense of value, you know, then maybe we're blurring that difference between free time and, and working time. If that economic value allows us to, um, uh, to spend more time caring for each other, um, uh, you know, um, both in a personal but also in a professional sense, you know, people spending more time with their, with their children, and, uh, et cetera, but also pe- pe- uh, investing in a caring economy, which uh, doesn't pay, um, you know, minimum wage, but reflects that actually caring for another human being should be one of the highest vocations, you know, society, uh, which uh, uh, that economic value in uh, released in terms of uh, the power of automation could allow us to invest in in uh, creativity and in culture and in things which actually um, re- uh, help us realize the beauty of, of life in our world. So. There, there are versions of the future which are, you know, which are attractive, but it does come down to, you know, the the fundamental question of politics, uh, which is, which is how, you know, how we as a society carve up the pie uh, of of the economic product, and you know, that's that's always been ultimately the basic question of politics. And who gives up power and wealth voluntarily? Well, you know, I, I that that's because uh, implicit in in, in Carney's, um, I don't think we've had a, an intellectual heavyweight governor of the Bank of England like this for as long as I can remember, and uh, and that is one of the the, the big questions is that um, if we accept that we are at a mo- moment of paradigm shift, and the reason that that is proffered that why this, uh, which I didn't answer before. Why this phase of automation is different is that, I mean, I'll paraphrase very simply, but with AI and machines that learn, machine learning, effectively you've got software and machines that can make other machines and produce their own software. So that's a different, entirely qualitatively different phase. And so that's why... Um, it can it could potentially lead to a, um, a you know, wholly different uh, uh, way of structuring production than we've ever had in uh, in the past. Um, yeah, I mean, if if we are at this paradigm shift, and um, you know, the classic question, you know, it was as Henry Ford, of course, uh, famously, according to the anecdote, you know, was walking around his factory and you know, pointing to. Early, the early phase of Fordism and automation, as was then, uh, pointing out to the, the union rep, well, these are the machines that will be making the cars. Uh, but then, of course, the, the, the reply came back, well, but then who will buy your cars, Mr. Ford? And that is the essence of the, pro- of, of the, the problem, isn't it? That actually capitalism in its um, post-Second World War great uh, um, golden era flourished because there was a, there was a kind of dyad between workers wages rising living standards then becoming the uh, the fuel for the economy buying the products that were then made by the workers if you break that link because there aren't any workers uh, then um, you know there is the potential there um, for a, a, a radical radical crisis and in some in some senses, we we've seen this. We, we you know we we we've seen it in political crises that have been particularly uh, associated with as the Middle East. You know, the rising food prices, etc. So, we, it's it's an age of political upheaval that we've been living through the last ten years. In in the developed West, okay, we had um, Occupy, and you know, but what we've seen so far, of course, is actually a shift to um, a break with, with, with the sort of neoliberal consensus, partly through um, the Brexit vote, the vote for Trump. Uh, it's, a, it's basically the, the revenge of, uh, of the neglected, um, and that's how it's ex- expressed itself. So it's 
a kind of a counter revolution in, 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 in some ways. Um, certainly movements associate, not associated with the left by and large. And that's where, that's where we are. The problem, of course, with that is that I don't think Brexit or Trump, uh, Trumpism, will deliver to those communities. And um, what happens next? What happens next when those communities are in exactly the same position uh, as, they, as they were prior to those votes? Like the Rust Belt, for example. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, okay, um, Trump is making some of the, of the noises that are going down well in terms of, I don't know, uh, coal industry and, uh, uh, and um, tariffs. But, you know, I, I, I don't, th- that's not going to lead to the reindustrialization of, 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 of those areas. And uh, to, 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 you know, there are things that you could do um, for those areas. I mean, you know, th- th- there is um, actually with um, the development of these new technologies, you can, you can distribute manufacturing, uh, you know, at a much, uh, in, a, in a more distributed way. You can have uh, 3D printing, for, for example, will mean that products can be uh, and will be produced much more, much more closely to, to market. Um, but all of that needs in, in investment and it needs investment in infrastructure and there hasn't been much of that um, on the table so far. But, you know, I, I think there, you've got to look at this positively. I mean, we, we, we're, we're living through this, this huge paradigm shift. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's, an, it's going to be an age of um, breakneck change, but, you know, that, uh, that doesn't have to be um, the kind of painful transition that we've seen in other, other periods. You know, we, we could, um, uh, you know, we, we, the same way that the nineteen the 1930s, of course, there was the cataclysm, but then uh, in response to that, we built a new, an entirely new way of organizing ourselves, and that's the, that's the prize. But we want, to, we want the prize this time without the cataclysm. Would I be correct to assume that for you, socialism came before Welsh nationalism. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, that was my um, my route in. You know, um, for me, um, for me, in effect, nationalism is not uh, um, the end in, in itself. It, it is it is a means, um, and for me, the means is is is, is creating a better society. Um, I think that Wales is um, is the perfect size for that kind of project, if you if you like. It, it, it's it's large enough to do something which is significant, um, but but you know small enough for it for it to work. You know, I, I think that there there is there's something about small nations and cities, maybe I think which which are great uh, test beds or, or great platforms for for innovation if you think about the nordic countries and uh, and you think of cities as well i mean cities are, are, are great places for for innovation and that's partly because you know people connect in, in cities and so people with different ideas meet is often as simple as that isn't it and and small small nations uh, replicate that in a different way so it's not that we are we're all hanging up you know hanging around uh, I don't know um, Shoreditch or whatever happens in in, in London in the tech uh, uh, startups or whatever, but uh, there is there is a there's a cognitive proximity that happens in small nations. You know people kind of speak the same language sometimes, literally but but certainly metaphorically. Uh, there's a sense of us. Uh, there's a sense of actually being connected, even though. We, we're individuals, we have some kind of common uh, bond, which is this thing we call a nation. Uh, and in small nations in particular, that, there, there is a, that, that bond is very, very strong. You know, there, there's a, a deep sense of belonging and commitment to some kind of, uh, something that's bigger than ourselves. And that can be channeled. It can be channeled into a vision. You know, it can be channeled into, into, into projects of, of, uh, which are about transforming country and you can see you know um, sm- small nations all over the world that, that have gone on that route I mean think of Singapore which is one of the poorest countries in the world and now the richest country in the world by income per capita 
and uh, yeah, so you know that that sense that sense of us can be harnessed. And for me, it's harnessing it, it to create a, 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 the good society. Why not do that at the British scale? You know, why not channel your energies in that? The problem there, I think, is, is that the British nation is, is a manufactured um, construct. Really, I mean, if, if you look at it, I mean, it's sort of it's created out of things like institutions like the royal family and you know, sort of pomp and circumstance, etc. Et but if you look beyond that, I don't think there is a there, there is a deep and prevailing idea of of what that nation constitutes because of course it isn't a, a nation it is a it's a composite of, of, of four and um, and also within the British state there are there are deep structures of conservatism you know it has stayed the same by changing and that's the of course the the mystery of the British Constitution is this constant evolution you know if you're in the business of radical change then, you know, I think you could waste a lot of time by trying to, to shift the British state. It's a super tanker um, that doesn't shift easily, um, whereas uh, the kind of uh, the smaller f- uh, flotilla of, the, the flotilla of small nations, of course, um, are, are much more agile, are much more responsive to waves of change. And so, you know, I, I, that's not to say that I mean, I have family in England, and I, 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 I love England. I mean, I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful uh, a, a country with a powerful culture, and that I deeply want to, you know, wanted to succeed and, 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 and deliver social justice to it to the people of England. I don't think the British state is the vehicle uh, for that, and you know, Wales, actually, an independent Wales uh, and a socially just Wales, much as Scotland, could be a beacon change in these islands and you know that's the way that I see change happening not uh, through you know I don't know grabbing hold of the mace in London for a few for you know four years if even if Jeremy Corbyn's able to do that and yet the great majority of people in Wales are not in favour of independence and never have been how do you go about persuading them that the ideas that you have are going to lead to a better society. I think that we we have one imperative, and that is to demonstrate to the people of Wales that uh, that Welsh democracy can make a difference to their lives. And I, I I think that you know the twenty years that we've you know will be marking. Um, soon uh, has not has not had the kind of impact um, that one would have hoped, and so I, I think the first the first task uh, and the, the most important task I think of, of, of a Welsh nationalist, if you want, is that um, somebody who believes in Welsh independence is is to demonstrate to demonstrate. The, the value that Welsh democracy could, could have to demonstrate the impact that, that, it, that it could have in people's in people's lived experiences and um, you know you have to be you have to be prefigurative you have to actually I, I think show to, to them in microcosm if you like because of, co- of course we have limited powers at the moment but it's no good just complaining uh, ad nauseum about the limited powers that's not going to flip the switch uh, of conviction in people's minds um, because uh, they, you know, if they hear that constantly then they're going to start to doubt well you know uh, is this argument you know, wh- wh- when will it be able to make a difference so I think we have to work with the constraints that's not to say that we won't make the case for, limited, uh, for, for, for increasing uh, our powers, uh, where they could make a difference um, uh, in the here and now, but our primary focus has to be to be much more imaginative, much more impactful than this Labour government uh, has been uh, been able to demonstrate. And in doing so, I think that we can start to change the mindset. And the mindset at the moment is is of a co- is a country really 
that though we have uh, the constitutional reality of um, democratic devolution, uh, we still, in our cultural makeup, still lack self-confidence in our own abilities to shape our, our own lives. You know, you know. So uh, we, we we've created. I mean, to paraphrase Cavour, was it? I mean, we, we've created a Welsh state. Now we have to create Welsh citizens, and and and, and the, the way to the way to do that is to is to implement a radical program, which shows look. We can do things, you know. We, as a nation, even within the limits that are set, we can be imaginative. We can be clever, you know, uh, and uh, we can actually start to chart a different course. And at that point, at the end of a decade, so you know, I, I've said that really um, we should set a, a decade-long program of, of change, um, starting with the election of the Plan Cymru-led government in twenty twenty-one. Uh, that should set out some, some you know, major, radical, ambitious uh, uh, goals. And it's at the, the end of that decade, in the second term, that then we can t- uh, turn around, uh, uh, based on a record of success, based on credibly demonstrating to the Welsh people, look, it doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to be at the, 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 the bottom of the league in, in terms of uh, the world education rankings, etc. We don't have to be in this uh, constantly creaking um, system of poorly uh, resourced and poorly managed public services, we we can actually we can go uh, and, and, and place ourselves clearly on a, on a path uh, for progress. At that point, then I think uh, you can have a meaningful discussion with the Welsh people and say, look, we've sh- we've shown what we can do within the strictures. Of the Westminster straitjacket, imagine what we could do, what we could do, if we empowered ourselves completely. Trouble is that when Leanne Wood was elected as the leader in 2011, that was said to be the start of a 10-year project, which would transform not just the party but the nation. And if you look at the progress since then, it hasn't exactly been spectacular, if it's existed at all. What has been the problem over the last few years, do you think, in terms of increasing the popularity of Plaid Cymru? Well, you know, uh, Leanne has been uh, a successful uh, leader in electoral terms. I don't think it's the only uh, yardstick uh, for political parties. Um, but um, How do you say successful? Well, I mean, at every... Uh, election pretty much uh, you know uh, our number of seats has, 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 has gone up so until uh, you lose people who leave the party well you know that's a question you need to put to them quite frankly not to me um, but in terms of the popular vote then uh, which you know it, it is obviously the key thing in any democracy then uh, we, we've done we've done uh, modestly well uh, now I think we I think Leanne and everyone else in implied would say, look, we, we obviously would have wanted to have done much better than that and, and, and have accelerated this, you know, the, the kind of changes that we wanted to see in, in terms of our country. And, you know, I mean, ultimately, if, we, if uh, we can only do what we want to do by, uh, by winning. And, uh, and all our minds are very much focused on that. Look, I mean, you know, I think you need to be a, a combination of a sociologist and a, uh, you know, a sort of a, a anthropologist and historian to understand quite why there is a stickiness in the Labour vote in Wales, which is almost unique in, um, you know, in, in these islands. You know, um, social democratic parties, which the Labour Party essentially uh, is part of that that tradition. Um, have collapsed uh, pretty much everywhere, with the exception of Wales. You know, I mean, even the resurgence, even the Corbyn phenomenon, really isn't about the, the revival of a social democratic party. Um, much as you, um, we used to say that I, I think uh, Southeast Wales um, actually has the o- the only unbroken Christian tradition uh, in the whole of Christendom, because even Rome was sacked. 
actually the Labour Party now has the only unbroken social democratic party tr tradition. In fact, is it is the longest serving governing party anywhere in, in Europe. I mean, even the Christian Democrats in Luxembourg were were eventually uh, chucked chucked out. How so, did they manage to uh, keep that going? It, it, it is um, it is a, a it is as much of a mystery to me. It's something that I I I, uh, um, I try not to spend all my time thinking about the Labour Party, particularly not in the last few months, but. Um, I think that, that there is something about um, the, 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 you know, the uh, this is Marxist in me coming, coming, coming out now, but there's something about the social structure of, of our society, um, and uh, but you know I think uh, the, the loyalty is uh, I think a, is a has a huge uh, um, positive value in our culture. Um, and and a sense of community and communities being quite cohesive. Um, that tradition uh, of voting being passed from generation to generation has remained stronger here than, than in other parts of the U UK, and people have been less prepared to break with it. But um, uh, we know uh, from history that uh, nothing uh, lasts forever, and the longer, of course, you maintain hegemony then uh, ultimately the more brittle it becomes and so we can I think we can predict with absolute certainty that the Labour, Labour Party rule in Wales its seemingly unchallengeable dominance will end. But when? Uh, well absolutely that is the question and and under what, what, uh, under what circumstances. Now I, I think um, if you looked at the last election, you can see that uh, there were there were instances in in, in Blaenau for example, where they, they 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 can be vulnerable. They can be vulnerable to credible candidates uh, on on the ground, and uh, and particular local circumstances where uh, which makes their incumbency even more unattractive. So it can be done. Um, I think that. Probably Plaid's greatest opportunity to win in 2021 is to is to set out a um, uh, an inspirational vision. We live in. I think we're going through a period generally, but you know, there's a particular version of this in Wales. Uh, we, we, you know, which is a is a period of, of of negativity, of acrimony, and of falling trust uh, and in interest in politics. We saw recently the figures showing that Wales actually has the most apathetic attitude to, towards politics uh, in the UK. And who can blame them You know, when essentially our politics um, has, um, has collapsed, uh, uh, I, I think, you know, into, into a series of, 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 of uh, you know, personal feuds, mostly within the Labour Party re re recently, you know, and we, we entered this dark phase. But, you know, generally speaking... You're, not, with, in, you're we, not without personal feuds in Plaid Cymru. Well, I think that you know acrimony is the, you know, is is the background noise of our modern political culture. You know, uh, there is a lot of anger, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. We live in a, an age of uh, economic insecurity and ideological uncertainty. So uh, everything is changing and nobody knows for certain what, you know, uh, what we should do about it. There isn't, there isn't, there isn't a, a compelling kind of you know, uh, uh, programmatic narrative out there that people can latch on to. And so what you're, what you're left w with then uh, often, yes, is, um, is a well of bitterness, you know? Um, the only thing I would say to, to that is, well, I don't think that's going to draw many people back to the well, is it? You know, so I think there is an appetite out there for um, for some vision. I think there is an appetite out there for um, restoring uh, some of that uh, 1999 like positive, hopeful brand of politics. Um, it's in our tradition in in Wales. Um, I think the world definitely needs it. Wales certainly needs it, um, and I think it does tap into something which is, you know, deep within the human psyche. Which is, you know, we we generally tend to be hopeful creatures because, um, you know, we like to be optimistic, and that's where that's where I think the gap is at the moment. You know, and if um, 
this this place, this this building, uh, this this parliament at the, at, the, at the moment, there's an ideas gap. Uh, I think we we uh, we see a government that has run out of ideas, and of course, opposition parties, you know, uh, um, through no fault of their own, uh, have to spend most of their time in parliaments, responding to governments. Uh, uh, programs and government legislation, and so we 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 are in a period of stasis. We're in a period of, of vacuum. We are now in an interregnum between two first ministers. Um, uh, you know, okay, the, the the runners and riders aren't clear yet, but I'm I'm I don't believe that internal renewal, which is the the idea that uh, the Labour Party is kicking around, that of course they a new leader will be able to uh, to create a new momentum. Uh, to, uh, with or without a capital M, I I don't believe that for one second because uh, the government, actually not just the Labour Party but the, well the the, the, the Labour government here as a whole, is stuck, uh, and this is a rut uh, uh, out of which it cannot come um, uh, under its own force, and you know so there the, all the, the there is an imperative there there is an opportunity there there is there is a massive open goal if you if you like but how applied uh, wins I think is that we we have to uh, we have to stick all of our um, political capital on this idea that there is a, there is a constituency out there of people that actually want to be inspired that, uh, by a, a different kind of Wales I hope I'm not wrong in that you're listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. The difficulty, of course, is that if we just look at election results, the opponents to Labour are very much split, aren't they? You don't have a situation as you had in Scotland when the SNP was able to displace Scottish Labour as the main party because the SNP was able to scoop up loads of seats across Scotland. Well, of course, initially on the list, but then subsequently uh, they got more first-past-the-post seats, and then in the general election in 2015 they won virtually all of the seats. Um, in Wales, we have a situation where the opposition to Labour is very much split between uh, the, uh, the Tories and Plaid Cymru, and that has led to a situation where whenever there's been a question of some kind of anti-Labour alliance you found yourselves having to consider the possibility of going into coalition with the Tories. Now, I know that in the past you were advocating at one point, weren't you, some sort of alliance with uh, the Liberal Democrats and the Greens, but, I mean, mathematically, that was fantasy, fantasy politics, Adam. Um, any chance, realistically, of displacing the Labour Party as the ruling party uh, in the Senate is going to have to rely on some kind of accommodation between Plaid Cymru and the Tories, is it not? And that is going to alienate a lot of potential Plaid voters. Well, you know, I think uh, my attempt to uh, create some uh, um, degree of um, cooperation between uh, ourselves and minority parties was, I think, a, a, a courageous effort to be creative and under difficult circumstances. I mean, the, the, the fact is, though, though those uh, two parties now, well, one of them has decided to, uh, you know, sign away its its political soul, uh, and the other one doesn't, you know, regrettably, I, I, I actually would like to see um, Greens represented in the Welsh Parliament, but uh, there's no sign of an upsurge there. So I think we can take that one off the... Uh, off the agenda for the time being. Um, look, I mean, I, I think Pride has to um, uh, to win uh, the next election uh, to form a government. Then we have to uh, we, we, we at, at least have to come second, you know. I mean, I, I, and then the, the second uh, prerequisite is that, La that Labour Party plus Kirst uh, Kirsty Williams um, do not have a, have a working majority. Now, uh, the scenario, the 2007 SNP scenario, which is a, which is a great epochal shift uh, from Labour to, to Plaid, I mean, you know, uh, I, uh, uh, I, I certainly dream of, the, of that day. 
Welsh politics doesn't is, is evolutionary rather than revolutionary for for most of the time. Um, there are there are periods you can you know, in terms of the collapse of the Liberals in the early twentieth century, but so, so I think you you are you are looking at uh, uh, at the moment Clyde aiming to do to equal its nineteen ninety nine record or better. You know, and I think you know that we're we are in the realms of the possible there. I mean, you know, it it would be a, an excellent result, but we're in you know the realms of of what it is permissible, I think, currently to imagine. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, it is a simple fact of the political arithmetic that um, if you are in that situation and Labour is deprived of majority, then there are two there are two alternatives for government. And we saw that played out, didn't we, in, in 2016 in uh, unexpectedly dramatic fashion. Uh, and, but that was a split uh, uh, vote. Um, if, if you're in a position where, where Labour and Kirsty Williams has less than less than 30, and uh, I think we can forget UKIP now, uh, Plyde is the second party, is somewhere between 17 and 20, and then you know, the Tories making up the rest... I would assume that the, that the Conservatives would do what they did in 2016, which is when offered the choice of uh, a Labour First Minister or a Plaid First Minister, they would vote for us. Um, and you'd have a minority administration. I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Leanne has uh, been very clear and consistent uh, that um, uh, she is um, intrinsically uh, opposed. Um, philosophically, really, to, to the idea of a, of a coalition with a conservative uh, party, and so you know that, that's not going to change. So, uh, so then you are looking at a minority administration, and you know um, the choice will be there to the, to the conservatives. Now, you know, I'm sure that um, on a, a sort of vote by vote base, basis, or you know, whatever other discussions, you know, they would would be, would be seeking. Um, Something in return in terms of their program, uh, presumably in terms of any votes on on a, on a minority program. So I think that's where we are, um, you know. And, and really, and, and you know, I think you've got to be um, objective about this. I mean, the the third scenario, which is the Conservatives coming second, then really that is that you know that's that does mean a continuation of. Labour government because I think it would be you know impossible for Plaid. There would be no circumstances whatsoever what uh, for us to to vote uh, in favour of uh, a, you know a Conservative first minister. I personally think that um, you know because the continuation of Labour's hegemony now is so damaging to Wales. Uh, I personally think that we should come out in the, at the next the next election and say that there are no circumstances, if we cannot lead a government ourselves that we would not uh, support uh, a, uh, either a Labour or a Conservative uh, um, government I, so what I'm saying there effectively, because we've said that about a Conservative, a conservative government before is um, uh, a form of equidistance in terms of supporting a government led by either of those two unionist parties, um, so we'd be ruling out applied uh, as a junior partner um, in a Labour government, but not about not a budget deal. Well, you know, I, 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 I to, to be honest with you, I mean, people make the connection between budget. I think that's overblown. I mean, you know, I, I, I um, show me any parliament that has a pluralist political system, and and I, and, I, and, and budget agreements have to happen where a government doesn't have a majority. And that would, by the way, that would be true of applied-led minority administration. If you don't have budget agreements, then you don't have a budget, and then we're into election periods, you know. So, I, I, you know, I think that's a bit... Uh, I, I, people get very uh, uh, hot under the collar about it because they see it as a symbol of, you know, applied in the previous phase, uh, somehow, you know, being... Genuflecting at Labour's altar, whatever. I mean, I, I, I don't. It's not that at all. In fact, if if anything, we've been very clever. Any opposition party, in order to strengthen its position in the early phase of a parliament, has to be able to show real, uh, you know, victories for its base. 
And if you look at the budget agreements that we struck, they were, they were very large, they were very strategic. Uh, you know, um, uh, certainly I know what I'll be putting on my election leaflet and uh, probably feature the Llandailo bypass and a few other things as well. Uh, that's clever politics. That's nothing to do with uh, you know, uh, these kind of higher level issues. But I think that it's certainly an option. It would, it, by the way, it's not a decision for me, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it, I think it's, it's a discussion that I'm sure the party membership would want to be involved in. But I think there might be some... Uh, I think there would be value in us being clear. Look, both these unionist parties uh, would be destructive uh, if they were to, uh, to lead Wales, and therefore we will not support uh, either of them. We would, we would not... Already said many occasions, we would never enter into a, a, a conservative led administration. But it would be the first time that we've said that about a Labour administration that there would be no one Wales tool. I think that would underline the core of, 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 of our appeal to 2021 is look, Wales needs change. The time for change is, um, sophologists who've studied this say it is that it has been the single most effective political message of all time. Um, and I think it was uh, um, um, it was Gough Latham, and he just actually shortened to its time in, in in Australia in the 1970s, and that was quite successful mm. for him until he got uh, um, got rid of by the Governor General. But um, it's time, uh, it's time for something different. It's time for change, and maybe one way for us to encapsulate that is to say, look, there won't be. Um, Quite happy for Labour to maybe to be our junior partner, you know. But if we were to get a plurality of seats, but Labour leading Wales for another five years, that would be a disaster. And I think that we should say that clearly. You're going to disappoint a number of people, including your old friend Professor Kevin Morgan, who I was talking to the other day, who has this dream of another red-green coalition. But you think he's barking up the wrong tree. I understand where Kev, you know Kevin is coming from, um, and I mean Kevin is as frustrated as I am. I think about the um, the reality of um, democratic devolution in many in many fields. I mean, let's be clear: it hasn't been an unmitigated disaster, and there have been some successes, but it hasn't delivered the particularly the democratic the devolution dividend that we Kevin in particular uh, popularised. I like Mark. Dreadford, if he if if he is um, seemingly the most likely successor, he has at least some ideas, which is not an accusation I think you could have made of Calvin Jones when he took over or at any point in his uh, 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 premiership. Uh, tragically, I, I, I think. How uh, bad a first minister do you think Calvin Jones has been? Well, I, I think the trouble. I, I I don't want to criticise him personally, but I think the the the. the the core uh, problem has been, right from the very beginning, is that he, here was a, a man that wanted the job but didn't know why. And uh, he had no idea about what he wanted to do, to, to do with it. And that explains, I think, the, you know, the, the, the last nine years. I mean, the decade of delivery, you know, it, it was all empty, really. What, 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 was, what was the content of that? Rodri Morgan uh, actually was very much an ideas person, probably possibly you could say that he had too many ideas and he often butterfly like went from idea to idea. But some people say as if you hadn't. Well, uh, <laughs> then, uh, seeing as Roddy Morgan was the father of the nation, I suppose I should take that as a compliment. But, uh, you know, uh, look, I mean, I think that um, uh, it's true that governments need to blend. Um, different skills and different predispositions so if you you know uh, ideas without implementation without without the rigor of a, a plan you know actually can founder as, as much as anyone else and so you know you want that uh, you want that range of of, uh, of of personal predisposition if you like but the the the, the issue i think with the first minister is um, okay uh, Apart from constitutional policy, which is one thing where, where Carwin did at times get excited, um, because maybe as a lawyer, you know, this is close to his comfort zone. The real work of Wales is getting under the bonnet, you know, of, of, and and understanding how we're going to transform our public ser services, 
understanding the constraints that have held our economy back, etc. You know, and on that, actually, you'd have to say that I have no idea about what the legacy of Calvin Jones is, and sadly, I'm not sure uh, he does either. You've been able to get under his skin, haven't you? Because recently, he was taunting you in the chamber for having gone to further your education in the United States. What was all that about? Yeah, it was quite bizarre. And uh, my, um, my colleague, uh, Stefan Lewis, uh, uh, referred to it as, as his Harvard moment. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I don't think we can claim credit necessarily for the speech he made a few days later, kind of announcing his retirement. But it certainly, I think, crystallised certain mindset that he, uh, he he has been in for some time that lashing out I mean we saw it with the, the Jacob Rees-Mogg uh, you know comment about Leanne uh, he hasn't been in a good place for, for, for quite some time and I suppose we, we can all appreciate uh, why that may be but you know I don't really know Karen Jones and this is this is in a country where we have one degree of separation so we all tend to know everyone, don't we, quite well. Um, he strikes me as a very shy man, actually, and that, and then shy people sometimes create an exoskeleton uh, in order to conceal their shyness. And um, so I think some of the bravado that we sometimes see um, at the dispatch box, and and also a touch of hubris that is almost inevitable when you've been at the. Um, top uh, of your field politics like everyone else ultimately of course as as, uh, as the uh, as the Greeks uh, told us ultimately that does lead to your own downfall. You have leadership ambitions Adam? I think I'm in politics uh, to serve rather than to, to lead that sounds like a pat answer but I, 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 I actually think that's um, that should be enough. That's what Mark Drakeford used to say. Well, I I don't know whether it was Mark that said it, or certainly somebody that said it about Mark. That um, uh, the fact that you the fact that you want the job of being a first minister should actually disqualify you from applying for it. So you're, you're not going to follow in, uh, in that particular path at the moment? Uh, well, you know, I, I mean, I, I look, I think we naturally obsess with, um, in, in an age which is very much personality and celebrity focused and the rest of it, on, on uh, the single uh, role of leader. But if you, if you look at the history of great governments, that have changed nations. You know, Kennedy would have been nothing without Camelot. You know, the nineteen forty-five Labour government was certainly not characterised by the charisma of its of its prime minister. I think we need a bit more collegiality in, in, in politics because ultimately, you know, it's generations that you know working together. It's a wave of people that come together and coalesce that change nations, not not a single person. Before Plaid is going to have the opportunity to set out its stall and offer to the people of Wales the possibility of voting for it to engineer the kind of government that you're talking about. It's got to show a bit more competence, hasn't it? It's got to show a bit more ability to be united because I'm getting on a very regular basis emails from people in Flanethley who are extremely exercised about the way that the selection of the general election candidate last year was handled and matters that have followed on from that. There are also, of course, very serious local difficulties for um, Plaid in Cardiff, where Neil McAvoy has been expelled from the party. You can't really afford too many of these kinds of fallings out, can you, uh, Adam? And does it not indicate that there is something a little lacking in the ability to work with people? 
You will appreciate that. I, I don't want to get into the, the detail of any individual case. And uh, um, I'm, 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 I, I've been taking a, a, um, a rare sabbatical for the last uh, couple of years from National Executive, which I, I, I think I, I seem to be on, on and off since I, since I was in my 20s. It's an iron rule of politics that divided parties lose elections. And so, you know, it is, um, it is absolutely important that uh, Clyde comes together and uh, heals any wounds um, that are there. Uh, and, uh, and without, you know, commenting on individual cases or taking sides, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not fully across many of the different, you know, com- sources of division, you know, um, but it is absolutely true that um, we, we, have to, we have to find um, our common purpose, and, um, and I hope we will do that. I mean, you know, ultimately, we have, we have to win that election for the sake of Wales, and if we are consumed in our energies in uh, seeking to undermine each other, then obviously that is energy that cannot be invested in the greater purpose of actually you know, um, trying to change the, the, the history of our nation. So I, I think that sometimes when political parties are going through um, uh, phases of frustration, then it's naturally, you know, energy, e- energy must go somewhere. You know, and, uh, but that's, that's an explanation, but it's not an excuse. Thanks very much indeed, Adam. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. We'll be back for more next week.